0: Once upon a time, people used to walk everywhere. And I know in this day and age, that sounds insane, at least for Americans. Like who the hell walks in the US anymore? But back before cars took over, people in cities could walk practically anywhere. And if they couldn't walk to that place, they could take this nifty little thing called public transportation. Yeah, we do kind of have that now, but it's literally one of the worst experiences ever. And that's only if it can even service the place you're trying to get to. It seems everything is always delayed, going in the wrong place or under inexplicable construction, but things weren't always this way. Back before the automobile was commonplace, you could walk outside of your home to a wide sidewalk littered with space. Maybe you were going to see a friend or even just going to work. Either way, you were walking there. There was no honking, no people yelling out their windows, no coal rolling and (gasps) gasp, fresh air. As you're walking along, free of any stress or worry that a car may spontaneously park just a little too fast or get a little too close to the sidewalk, you are met with the delicious smell of food. Everywhere you turned, there were people enjoying their day outside, eating their meals and laughing in the spacious restaurant outdoor seating areas. The neighborhood is buzzing with people and everything you could ever need is just steps away. Need a new dress? The store is right there. It takes all of 10 minutes to walk to a friend and it's a pretty straight shot. This was the way of the past. Before cars took over our cities, they were open and full of life and freedom, but that all changed. As cars became the sign of the future, our cities and towns were built around them, not us. Suddenly, our open sidewalks were ripped away from under us and expanded to make way for the next big invention. Walking became a thing of the past and businesses seemed to get further and further away. Eating outside became a foreign concept, one that seemed reserved only for certain cities in Europe, but never for those in the US. And the once winding roads that accounted for the buildings and people were expanded and turned into straight, easy to travel freeways that quickly became dangerous and congested. Everything, and I mean everything, has changed. Most of us in the United States don't remember life before cars became our way of life. We have lived our entire lives in a world of yelling, traffic jams, and driving just a few blocks down the street. But why did this happen? What made everything change and why does it seem like our cities might be forever gridlocked in this doomed state? Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com armorall less work more clean terms apply like so many people these days we live in the suburbs and Dave needs the car every day for business when he was gone i was practically a prisoner in my own home i couldn't get out to see my friends couldn't take my well, you but know to all the they, look 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 they think about is what a car looks like how about how it goes I know it goes. Yeah, yeah, but you ever stop to think what makes it go? Certainly, it has a -a thingamajig under the hood. Hello everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be taking a deep dive into how cars and the innovation around them changed our cities and lives forever. Was it for the better, or has it made the United States worse? Let's take a look and see. Way back when in the 1920s and even up into the 1950s and 60s, the United States was a different place. In our cities, there was a true melting pot of people from all walks of life and people walked everywhere. It was the normal thing to do, but as cars began to take over the American lifestyle, everything began to change and walking was altered from a normal everyday activity to a dangerous and sometimes illegal one. The once safe streets had been altered to make room for the next big thing. And the United States was spending over a billion dollars as early as 1924. And that is right, I said $1 billion. And 1 billion in the 1920s is equivalent to 14 billion today. And it was all just to make the roads friendly for cars, but not the people. Not surprisingly, this sudden change led to sudden danger. As pedestrian deaths skyrocketed in the 1920s, a plan was developed. Because of course, why make it safer for people to walk on the street as they'd done forever when you could simply run a propaganda campaign that convinces people that walking was the most dangerous thing they could physically do? That's a much better plan, right? The car dealers and auto clubs all got together to invent a new term, a jaywalker. Jay comes from the Midwestern slang term that often meant bumpkin or a hick, and Jay drivers had already been used to make fun of people who still drove carriages. So they threw those two things together and created a word that basically amounted to calling people dumb for believing they still had the right to walk. Soon, the campaign against walking began to take shape. The American Automobile Association began to build safety patrols that kept children off the street. Then came the pageantry, and oh, did it come. In New York, they started performances that showed just how terrible jaywalking was. In one, a clown stood in front of a car and let the car continuously hit him. Why a clown exactly? What was it about this demonstration that called for it to be a clown? Also, technically that's not walking, it's just standing. So I don't know exactly what was going on there. Meanwhile, car companies were creating literal gravestones that said, Mr. J. Walker. And others were putting on performances where an actor got arrested, handcuffed and wore a sandwich board that said, I am a Jay Walker. As the theatrics continued, they clearly started to work. While all of that was going on, something else was happening too and that's roads, because roads were being built everywhere. After World War II, the United States threw itself into the world of progress and innovation. One of the many things they did was to bring us into the future by building roads. Soon, the open cities that used to resemble those you would see in common European metropolises looked completely different. Transportation, after all, was the future. It had been declared by General Motors in 1939 when they said, history shows that the progress of civilization has to run parallel to advancements in transportation. Now, I would argue it's more about technology, but hey, who am I to argue with one of the biggest automobile companies in the world, I guess? They clearly had no stake in naming the greatest sign of the future to be transportation, obviously, right? Right, they had nothing going on there. But with this idea plastered all over the country, things did start to change. First, it was Detroit. Suddenly the city went from the center of innovation, a thriving neighborhood to just a string of highways. White people were encouraged to get their big homes in the suburbs while black and poor people were unceremoniously stripped of their homes to make way for new highways and cut off from any of the city centers, which coincidentally, I'm sure, made it very difficult for those people to maintain their jobs, which were now becoming further and further away. Do the math. And just like that, everything was isolated and the situation just kept getting worse. The United States was putting billions of dollars into building new roads and highways to make way for the auto boom. The towns which were once full of people walking or riding their bikes were now just chock full of cars where families could drive from town to town without ever having to see anyone else. Nowadays, almost everything in American cities is just built around cars. According to Dr. Martin Melosi, the director of the Center for Public History at the University of Houston, he says, It is estimated that as much as one half of a modern American city's land area is dedicated to streets and roads, parking lots, service stations, driveways, signals, and traffic signs, automobile oriented businesses, car dealerships, and more. Gone are the days when you could walk to a tiny small business right next to your house to get some obscure object that you needed. Now, almost every store caters to cars and the streets are just too busy to maneuver. As the roads and freeways quickly appeared, sidewalks disappeared just as fast. Before, we spent money providing safe, flat sidewalks that anyone could walk along, but that all changed. The space for anything but driving was done away with and any that remains often goes unupdated. Ever a trip on a sidewalk that is crooked or raised halfway off the damn ground? Yeah, that didn't used to be such a problem. No one seemed to care as the environment around us suddenly changed. As we all know, money makes the world go round and the automobile industry was, well, where the money went. By 1953, manufacturing in the United States was responsible for about one quarter of the GDP, AKA the money made by services or products produced in a country. Automobile companies were responsible for the employment of an absolutely insane amount of people in the United States. And in times of war, they were widely responsible for building anything and everything for the military. So it would make sense that the country would absolutely thank them for absolutely destroying our cities by doing, you know, what they're doing. But while the auto industry was booming and the country was building everything possible to accommodate it, it was slowly killing everything else. Soon, automobiles would become the only mode of transportation and the public or cheap ulterior methods were pushed by the wayside. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Does anyone remember the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The fever dream-esque movie from the 1980s where cartoon characters and real people ran around to fight the villain. And of course, Jessica Rabbit, who could forget? She has nothing to do with this episode, but it's really hard to mention the movie without mentioning Jessica Rabbit. It's not her fault. She was just drawn that way, I guess. Oh, classics, you know how they are. Anyway, do you remember the plot of that movie? Because the villain comes in, buys the red car transit system, and has an evil plan to tear down Toontown and build a freeway. I see a place where people get on and off the freeway, on and off, off and on, all day. Soon, where Toontown once stood will be a string of gas stations, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons. Automobile dealerships, and wonderful, wonderful billboards reaching as far as the eye can see. My God, it'll be beautiful. Yeah, well, that's actually exactly what's happening, except instead of these drastic plans being thought out by one of the creepiest cartoon characters I've ever seen in my life, like seriously, so many nightmares, it was being thought out by auto companies and the United States government together. Back before the massive highway boom, most people in cities within the United States relied on public transportation to take them from place to place. Now only 5% of people in cities use public transportation. So what the hell happened? Well, streetcars were basically the only transportation in cities other than walking. So they were a monopoly and they acted like it. In order for them to keep contracts with their city government and continue operating as monopolies, they agreed to keep the same price all the time 24 seven, which was 5 cents. But after the auto boom, this price wasn’t really working too well for them. Soon, people were choosing to drive their cars around cities rather than ride streetcars. And so that 5 cents for exponentially fewer customers wasn’t helping out much. Then, as there was more and more people driving, they started driving on the tracks. Wouldn’t you know it that when a bunch of cars started driving on the tracks, streetcars weren’t able to keep their schedule anymore? And that made more and more people switch over to driving and causing traffic jams with hour-long delays. And just like that, streetcar companies started going bankrupt. Now, some of them tried to invest in buses during the Great Depression, but it didn't do much to help, especially since all levels of government were focusing on bringing cars into cities at a much higher rate. Who cares about the expense of people buying their own cars and gas and destroying city infrastructures? People liked cars and it made people money. Eventually though, streetcars became a thing of the past and public transportation as a means for getting around was severely weakened. So you might be thinking, so what, who cares? Well, the thing is a lot of people needed public transportation to survive and still do to this day. Remember when I said that people were pushed out of their homes away from the jobs of commercial properties? Yeah, well, they relied on public transportation to get to work. A lot of people did for a variety of reasons and most of them couldn't afford cars. So when public transportation was effectively snuffed out by the auto boom and walking was suddenly like illegal, they had no way to get anywhere. Even if a family could afford a car, it was usually just one. This means that one person was usually trapped in the house all day long while the other was gone. Want to take a wild guess who that person usually was? Well, it was the woman, go figure. As walking and public transportation needed to swiftly go by the wayside, the United States just got more isolated. But isolation wasn't the worst of it all. The real problem was the danger because newsflash, cars are dangerous, but in more ways than one. Remember all those propaganda demonstrations that spontaneously decided to tell people that walking was a super dangerous activity? Well, people still walk, just not at the rate they used to. And in the cities, there seems to be more cars than there are people. The amount of pedestrians killed in the United States absolutely skyrocketed. In just the United States, the amount of people killed from being hit by a car has risen drastically in just the last few years. In 2018, it hit a 28 year high. It's up about 50% from 2009. Now there are a lot of ways this could be happening. It could be because people just need to send those text messages while driving, speeding or just the fact that we built a bunch of roads that don't account for people walking at all. Hmm, that could probably be part of it. Since the beginning of the car boom, we have built flat, straight roads that have inadvertently led to people driving faster or driving distracted. Charles Marone, who wrote Confessions of a Recovering Engineer wrote, "'When you widen out lanes, when you put in a recovery area, when you remove obstacles, what you do is you induce people to drive faster than they otherwise would. If you need a sign to tell people to slow down, you designed your street wrong." And that kind of makes sense, right? Maybe you're a speed demon on the highway, but when you get onto those streets that have like 50 roundabouts and go through winding hills, I bet you slow down a bit. However, that's not what most roads are like, especially not those in cities. While the roads are wide and plentiful, the sidewalks are narrow, crowded, and run down. And if you want to bike, that's a whole other story. I mean, hell, they literally made a movie where the premise was just how dangerous it was to bike in New York City. It's called Premium Rush, and honestly, it's terrible. But it does follow the lives of some delivery bikers in New York City, and basically everything is an obstacle. None of the people in cars pay attention to anything or what anyone is doing. In 2019 alone, 28 people on bikes were killed by drivers in just New York City. In fact, it's considered to be the most dangerous city in the United States for bicyclists. It's no wonder why anyone in this country doesn't seem to get any exercise. And maybe, just maybe, it's because walking and biking have turned into deadly activities for people that live in cities. If you don't live in a city, you likely don't even have sidewalks there either. So there's also that. In places where cars have become more important than the people driving them, it's become increasingly dangerous to use any other means of transportation too. But even worse than that is the environmental factors of the car boom. Listen to this. Worldwide pollution now kills three times the amount of people as AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria combined. Three times more. Meanwhile, according to a paper released in 2016, burning fossil fuels is now the world's most significant threat to children's health. Isn't that just absolutely wonderful and charming? Right, gas goes up, no surprise, that interest in electric vehicles goes up, but uh, nothing like what General Motors is announcing today, an aggressive push in that direction that could have GM all electric by the year Uh, Welcome everyone to basically the announcement of Tesla energy. They are announcing that they are setting a target of being fully electric. Up and down. But hey, we're starting to see more and more cars turn electric, which should solve the whole pollution problem, right? Well, kind of. While electric cars are great for the whole carbon emissions thing, they come with a new set of problems. For example, as the electric car boom has gotten underway, we have turned to poisoning rivers so we can mine lithium. There's also something else about cars that people don't even think about, and that's the tires. When's the last time you thought about those and their issues? Tires need to be made for electric cars and just good old fashioned gas vehicles. And hey, making them is a crazy pollutant, go figure. In fact, recent studies found that tires are now releasing more pollution than exhaust pipes. That's just while driving. When you think about the particles from plastics that are getting into the water, that contributes to about five to 10% of the ocean's pollution. So not only are cars harming our cities, making them less livable, walkable, and safe, but they're also harming our general ecological environment too. But at this point, there's not much regulation on tires. So while individuals do their best to help out the world's climate crisis by getting electric vehicles, companies are still finding ways to create and sell things that continue to pollute our cities, oceans, and towns. There's just no winning here. So let's just recap all of this real quick, because over the last century, since cars have come into our lives, a lot has changed. Walking in cities or God forbid biking has become an impossible feat. And that kills a lot of people and stresses out literally everybody. Traffic is now insane. Our cities are more separated and isolated than ever before. And oh yeah, we're still killing our planet. Listen, we all know that cars are useful and I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have them at all, but maybe just maybe we should not build our entire lives around them. But it seems like things might be starting to change just a bit. More people are talking about how cars and the infrastructure around them have impacted our lives. And we actually have the pandemic to thank for that. So before we jump into that and take a look at how the pandemic has actually changed our perspective on cars, let's take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors. I love learning new information all the time. And chances are, if you're listening to my channel, you probably love learning about new stuff all the time as well. And that's why I'm so excited to present a new sponsor to the channel, Masterclass. Masterclass has amazing classes that are taught by some of the top folks in that industry. And that includes from food, design, arts, music, business, everything under the sun. One class that I've been taking is by Nikki Nakayama, who is a two-star Michelin chef. And she has been absolutely refreshing to teach me how to cook a little more fresh and just a little more fun. I admit I am terrified for an upcoming lesson about learning how to prepare rockfish, but I'm gonna try and stick through it and see like, can I actually do this? It's gonna be a really interesting learn for me. But what's really cool about Masterclass is you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. So if you're ready to learn from a truly skilled master, I highly recommend you check out Masterclass. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as one of my listeners, you'll get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com casket. That's masterclass.com casket for 15% off masterclass. Now, maybe you just want to do something super easy, put together and almost foolproof at least when it comes to cooking. And if that's what you're into as well, that's where HelloFresh comes in. That's because HelloFresh makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Gear up for the busy fall season with 55 or more weekly options and take the stress out of meal planning and prepping. From family friendly to fit and wholesome and even veggie options. And now, like I said last week, I think I got an email for it, vegan options too. HelloFresh has tasty and nutritious meals. And I know getting back into a rhythm can be busy and weeknights can be made so much easier with near foolproof step-by-step recipes with photos that are ready in around 30 minutes or less. Now, I think most of you know, I'm a huge fan of the firecracker meatballs. May I present to you though, a new type of meatball that recently arrived at my HelloFresh doorstep. It is the Bon mi meatball and it is delightful, a fantastic alternative to the firecracker meatball. I'm absolutely loving it and I need HelloFresh to design more meatballs now because I love their meatball recipes. So if you want to get started with HelloFresh, maybe try one of their delicious meatball recipes, make sure you go to hellofresh.com casket16 and use code casket16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. Again, hellofresh.com slash casket16 and use code casket16 for 16 free meals across 7 boxes and 3 free gifts. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. A SARS-like virus, which has infected hundreds in China, has now reached the United States. Airports around the world are stepping up health screenings on passengers Stay at home. That is the order tonight from four state governors as the coronavirus pandemic spreads. New York, California, Illinois, and Connecticut. all Looking at at or living in in cities at the height of COVID-19 was some sort of weird dystopian future. All of a sudden the streets that were once outlandishly crowded, loud, and full of people honking and cursing at a near constant basis were silent. Then something strange started to happen in cities all around the world. The lack of cars and loud noises were welcomed by the animals who spontaneously reappeared. The air seemed more clear and all those cities surrounded by water found that it was cleaner than it had been in years. Why was all of this happening? Well, there weren't thousands of people driving around in cars anymore. As we were all bunkered down inside, the environment around us began to heal. But there was more than that. As things started to open back up and restaurants, bars, and other businesses were desperate to find a way to make money while limiting the number of people inside, people had to start getting creative. And just like that, the streets and endless amounts of parking lots that were designated specifically for cars became outdoor seating, gardens, and even shopping. As people started coming out to the open, they were met with something we haven't seen in over a century, cities designed for the people that actually live in them. It was a revelation. Who knew? We didn't actually have to live in cities that were totally overrun by cars. We could actually have outdoor dining and even gardens. Recently, the city of Boston took a poll and asked the question, even though it means less space on the streets for cars, do you want to keep the parklets we've put in during COVID-19? What was the result by the way? 81% of people said to keep them. Who cares about the damn cars when you have a place to actually sit and enjoy the outdoors? With more people working from home, it's even better. You don't have to be stuck in your stuffy office or the same old apartment every day. You could actually go outside. What could be better? But wait, there's more. There were bike lanes too, and they were open and far less dangerous. Oh, and what about those bike lanes? Well, people actually voted to keep those too people actually want to be outside again. But while this change in opinion seems sudden, reorganizing city streets to prioritize people over cars has actually been a movement for more than a decade. The only new thing is that people are actually paying attention now and city planners might actually be listening. Back in 2012, Jeff Speck wrote a book called Walkable City. But at this point in time, no one was talking about making cities a better place for people. Instead, Anthony Weiner, remember him? Who was running for mayor in New York was actually saying things like, the first thing I'm gonna do as mayor is hold a press conference, tearing out your fucking bike lanes. So yeah, at the time, cars were still the most important thing, but throughout the years, people have started to get a little more creative. If you live in a city, you may have noticed a few things changing even before the pandemic. One of the biggest and fastest to pop up over the years is light electric vehicles or LEVs. It feels like they came out of nowhere. One day people walked outside and there were bikes or scooters available for rent and you could speed your way across town without having to jump into a car. And let's be honest for a moment, the scooters are pretty fun to drive around on, but even more than that, they help exponentially with the traffic and the congestion in our cities. And for those that maybe don't have access to public transportation, they are incredibly useful too. I remember last summer I traveled on a business trip with one of my friends. And while we were there, we picked up one of those scooters and essentially went from our hotel to our destination without taking a taxi. It was super fun. He got yelled at by like these teenagers that maybe were 18 or 19, that they were very loudly saying things like, oh my God, they're so slow for old people. So it's been, a, I got called old by like people that were just maybe a couple years younger than me. And I was like, damn, that hurts. But hey, it was still a really cool experience. I don't think he liked it as much because he got called old, but I thought it was funny. Now, some city governments and local residents aren't entirely thrilled by the new craze. Places like New York, San Francisco, and Indianapolis even banned them when they first arrived on the scene. But as hard as they may have tried, it just seemed impossible to stop the craze. As I said, a lot of residents find those little shareable electric vehicles incredibly convenient. And in an effort to make them even more accessible to people, many cities have begun offering these services through mobile apps. This even expands beyond electric bikes and scooters. Finally, some cities have realized that trying to get on public transport is exhausting and have created apps to make it so much easier. For instance, Austin's CAP Metro allows its customers to use an app to plan their routes and book tickets in advance. No more getting lost on the Metro. Some cities are so on board with jumping over to this fewer cars craze that they are actually putting their money where their mouths are. Imagine that. San Francisco recently enacted a plan that will remove most private vehicles from Market Street. The $600 million budget will go towards renovating the area to make it more wildly accessible for buses, bikes, streetcars, and even pedestrians. Walking is finally back in style. Now, New York has ventured into the car-free zone plans as well. In September, they agreed to make 14th Street a no-car zone. Local officials have called this decision a miracle. Clearly, only declaring a street or two car free isn't magic. There's still congestion and the cars will just migrate to a different place. But that can all change in the future if we place more focus on other modes of transportation. While it's a slow solution, it's one that could actually work and it's definitely better than our old solution for congestion, which was to just build more roads. It is possible that we are actually finally reversing our terrible decisions of the past. It would be wonderful to give the cities back to the people rather than keep them strictly for cars larger sidewalks, more people walking, and some actual public transportation. It doesn't seem like a big ask, but if there's one thing I know, it's that change is constant and it certainly seems like change is coming. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you liked it and I hope you learned something new today. This was kind of a different take. It wasn't just, you know, one company in particular, but a situation as a whole. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please let me know, because I'm absolutely curious. I really enjoyed it. I love to do more episodes like this, but some feedback would definitely be helpful. As per usual, thank you so much for checking out today's episode and giving me some of your time today. I really do appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye.